0: Thanks for downloading this podcast from Burghead Free Church in Murray, Scotland. We exist to know Jesus and make Jesus known. Our vision is to grow to be a vibrant all age church of a hundred disciples. Find out more at burgheadfreechurch.org.
1: In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame. Nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. But shame will come to those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your path. Guide me in your truth. And teach me, for you are God, my Saviour. And my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways according to your love. Remember me, for you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right. And teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful towards those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the way that they should choose. They will spend their days in prosperity and their descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from anguish. Look on my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. See how numerous my enemies and how fiercely they hate me. Guide my life and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and the uprightness protect me, because my hope, Lord, is in you. Deliver Israel. Lord from all their troubles.
0: Sam was anxious. Anxious about the present and worried for the future. The pandemic meant that her job was now insecure and speaking of her job there were people at work who didn't like her Christian faith and didn't like the stand that she'd taken on some issues and so she knew if there were going to be redundancies frankly there were some people there who would quite like her to be the first out of the door losing her job would make her already precarious financial situation even worse and she had a family to feed how on earth could she trust god stewart was racked with guilt He couldn't forget what he'd said and what he'd done. He knew that his sin against God and against others was serious. He knew that, frankly, the troubles he was facing were in good measure his own fault. How on earth could he come back to God? How on earth could he expect God to forgive him again? He felt dirty and guilty and lost and hopeless How could he deal with his guilt? Sandra didn't know what to do. Life was full of impossibly complicated decisions. Her teenagers were pushing her to abandon church. They just didn't want to go anymore. Her husband wanted the family to relocate for a better paid job, but she knew that there wasn't a gospel teaching church in the place he wanted to move. On top of that, her parents were aging and their health was failing. Her mum was suffering with dementia. She hardly knew what to do. How on earth could she find guidance in all the complexities of life? Trusting God, dealing with guilt, and finding guidance. Now, I made up those three stories, but it wasn't very hard to do so. We could easily have imagined many more. Trusting God, dealing with guilt, finding guidance. I reckon these are maybe the biggest three issues for any Christian, for any person come to that. And in fact, I struggle to think of three more relevant issues. Wouldn't it be good if there was a passage of scripture that spoke to all three of these issues? Well, what do you know? That's exactly what you have in front of you today in Psalm 25. David, the author, writes about trusting God, dealing with guilt, and finding guidance. Those, no surprises, are our three headings today. They're on your sheet. They're on the screen. Let's get going. Number one, trusting God. Read from verse one. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me put to shame nor let my enemies triumph over me. The start of verse one there is more literally, to you, Lord, I lift up my soul, or my whole being. In other words, trusting God means giving your whole self over to him. And knowing that, placing yourself in his hands is good and wise because Well, he's good and trustworthy. I suppose it's a bit like one of those trust games where you have to fall and be caught. To trust God is to deliberately, self-consciously lean on him, to, to place your whole self in his hands, knowing that he controls everything and knowing that you depend on him for everything and knowing that he is completely good and trustworthy. You do see those uh, videos, don't you, of those sort of awfully cringy team-building days. I have to say, I really hate team-building days. Anyway, you know the sort of thing where one member of the team has to fall back and uh, the colleagues at the office or, or whoever it is, they have to catch them. And I suppose the idea is it's supposed to generate trust. Uh, the idea is that once you've done that you've fallen on your colleagues you'll know that your colleagues are trustworthy and that they have your back literally in this case and therefore uh, in your workplace you'll go on to trust them and be a better team I really hate team building days but you do sometimes see videos where it goes wrong that the catchers are standing behind but the one who's doing the falling misunderstands the exercise and instead they fall forwards and fall flat on their face David, who wrote this, knows that there is no danger of that with God. He won't let you down. With him, you will never fall flat on your face in shame. That is not to say that life will always be easy. God does not guarantee that. But he is completely trustworthy. He'll never let you fall flat on your face in shame. And crucially... This is not just some kind of blind faith that David has. So often when people talk about faith, that's what they seem to mean. Blind trust in something despite the complete lack of evidence for it. That's not faith at all. No, David has good reasons and real experiences which tell him God is trustworthy. So, verses 2 and 3 again. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. See, you might ask, or you should ask, well, how does David know that? You know, how can he be sure that those who trust in God won't end up being sh- put to the shame of God's judgment? How could he be sure that he'll get God's blessing instead? The answer in the psalm is in one word especially. You see it in verse 10 and verse 14. The word is covenant. Now, it might sound a bit sort of Bible-y. What, what does that mean, you ask? A covenant is a binding agreement between two parties. Maybe our closest equivalent today would be something like a marriage Now in Bible language you don't make a covenant, you cut a covenant. That's always the language used in the Old Testament. And that's the language used because when a covenant was cut, the parties, and this is a bit gruesome, but the parties would literally cut animals in half to mark the occasion. And in doing that you were saying, if I break this covenant, may I be sliced in half as well. told you it was gruesome. In our modern way of speaking, I suppose you might say or oh, it was a contract signed in blood. Not literally, of course, but the idea is it's binding, a bond in blood, a serious and binding deal, like a marriage. But the difference, of course, with a covenant made by God is that it's not a kind of contractual agreement of two equals, like in a marriage. Now, God is high above us. God makes his covenant with us. He made a promise, if you remember, to Abraham and his descendants that that he would be their God. And that if they walked with him, they'd know his blessing and not shame. His kindness rather than his judgment, which frankly they deserve. It was a kind and generous and gracious thing of God Almighty to make a covenant with The likes of us. And David is now looking back hundreds of years later. And he can say with absolute certainty that when God says something, when he promises, when he makes a covenant, God is completely and utterly faithful to it. David can see that in the history of his own people and in his own experience. And we can know the same. One of the great values of of knowing the big story of the Old Testament, the whole Bible come to that, is that you see again and again a God who makes promises, who cuts covenants and then keeps the promises and is completely faithful to the covenant. Supremely, of course, you see that in Jesus. And I know looking around today that many of you here, just like David, could say the same thing in your own life, in your own experiences. Time and again, it's not that God has made life easy. Sometimes the opposite. But time and again, God has proved himself to be faithful. He's never left you. He's never let you down. Now people inside the church even might let you down. Church leaders like me, no doubt have let you down. No doubt I've let you down. Those outside the family of God will certainly let you down. They may even oppose you for being a Christian. That was certainly David's experience. He's aware, as you can see, from about, of his enemies all around him. And we also live in a culture, I think, that is increasingly hostile to Christian faith. And on that note, it's got nothing to do with the psalm really, but let, it's just a good excuse for me to again recommend this excellent book. It's called Being the Bad Guys. It's a kind of manifesto for what it means for Christians to live faithfully and lovingly in a secular age where we have long since ceased to be the cultural mainstream. It's excellent. Anyway, back in the psalm. For David, trusting God didn't always mean an easy life. It didn't always mean God gave him exactly what he wanted. It didn't mean his enemies weren't real. If you know anything about his life, you know that that's true. But trusting God did mean that in the end... David knew God's blessing and not the shame of his judgment. And there's a stark division there, isn't there, in the psalm. You see it in verse 3. No one who hopes in you will be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. The question the psalm begs, of course, is which one do you want? Are you on the right side of God? Have you trusted in him? Now you might say, well, okay, I, I get it, that's, that's all very well, but but what does it actually mean to live your life like day by day in the normal stuff of life, trusting in God? It kind of sounds a bit abstract. Well, look at verse 5. David says, Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my savior. My hope is in you all day long. Or verse 21. May integrity and uprightness protect me because my hope, Lord, is in you. Or verse 15. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. Do you see the common theme there? A life of faith, and faith and trust are just the same word. A life of faith is a life lived that's looking constantly to God. Day by day, putting your hope in God. We've seen so far that David has been looking back at the idea of covenant and all God's faithfulness. Looking back is a reminder that God is trustworthy, but constantly looking up, if I can put it that way, in day-to-day life with your eyes always fixed on God. That's living the life of faith. And that's why we so often speak about the need for daily Bible reading and prayer. It sounds so mundane doesn't it? But these are not just some checkbox religious activities because the life of faith is a, a life lived constantly looking to God, constantly asking for His help, constantly seeking His guidance. If you're young here and I have ceased to place myself in that category these days but if you're young here here's a habit you need to get get this habit early in life reading the Bible every day and praying to God it's a really concerning thing when people who say that they're Christians just seem to forget about God from one day to the next as if he never occupies their thoughts and they're never reading his word and they're never praying to him David is the opposite of that. He says, my hope is in you all day long, and and my eyes are always on the Lord. You you get the sense that that David is constantly looking to God. With every problem or trial or confusion or opportunity, he's always looking to God. Lord, what should I do here? What are you saying to me here? What does your word, word say? So when there's uncertainty at work in your world, and let's face it, that's every day, look to God, ask for his help, and trust him for a good outcome. You know, when there's uncertainty about money, or your job, or the future, or your school, or your studies, look to God, ask for his help, and trust him that he'll provide. Or when you feel you're being attacked by enemies, Look to God. Ask for his help, including help to respond with grace, not with to reciprocate an attack. And then trust him for the outcome. Trust him that whatever happens, in the end he'll bring blessing and not shame on you. This psalm is so relevant, isn't it? It's so practical. We often struggle with trusting God. But secondly... Just as frequently, we're also dealing with guilt. Whatever difficulties David faces, whatever enemies he has, and we've seen that they're very real, he is also painfully aware that in many ways he is his own greatest enemy. It's his sin that leaves him guilty before a holy God. He can't miss it. Verse 2 I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame. Or verse seven, do not remember the sins of my youth or my rebellious ways. Or verse eight, good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. And what a sinner David is. He's very candid. Verse 11, for the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, which is another word for sin, though it is great three things to see here firstly sin is real and sin is everywhere remember who we're talking about this is king david we've already seen he's a man of faith we've already seen he's a man whose eyes are always on the lord and add to that quite often in the old testament when you come across david he functions as what we call a type of christ Which means that David is often a kind of signpost or a pointer to Jesus. You know, what God signposts partially through David, he completes fully in Jesus. So, do you see what's being said here? Here's David, the man of faith who always looks to God, who's a model for what Jesus will be. And yet, when it comes to sin, David is not at all like Jesus. He's fully aware of his sin. And let's be honest, if this great king, the man of God, if he's knee deep in sin, you can be sure that you are as well. And so am I. Next, sin's consequences are serious. Look at verse 16. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from anguish. Look on my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. You see the three consequences of sin there? Firstly, separation. Sin leaves him lonely and afflicted. Sin ruins human relationships and more than that, it cuts you off from a holy God. Separation. It also brings mental anguish. David's heart is troubled. And I'm sure you relate to that. And then sin also brings real world consequences. Verse 18, David's sin has brought him affliction and distress. Sin is real and everywhere. Sin's consequences are serious. And let us see on your sheet. The only answer is God's grace. Here's how it goes in real life, I think. When we are painfully aware of our sin. And if we have any self-awareness, that's quite a lot of the time. Our instinct, I think, is just to shrink away from God and to hide from him. To think that we we couldn't possibly come to him in prayer. We avoid the Bible. We, We maybe even stay away from church. Or if we come, we kind of just shut our minds off to it all. This psalm, and actually lots of psalms, show us that that is not the answer. They say, they say that time is a healer. But that is not true when it comes to sin. Our sin doesn't go away over time. You know, our guilt doesn't disappear just because we avoid the Lord for a couple of weeks. We don't get forgiveness just by running away from God. No, instead we get it by coming to God, by confessing our sins to him. In some cases we may be helped by confessing our sins to others as well but asking most of all for God's mercy and grace by looking to the cross and to Jesus who shed his blood for us. Look at verse 10. It's just wonderful. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful. And those Hebrew words that are loving and faithful come into the New Testament in Greek as grace and truth. Now you probably recognize those words grace and truth if you know the Bible at all. You read them in John chapter 1 where it says that Jesus came full of grace and truth. Jesus is the one who brings us God's grace, full and free forgiveness because he pays for our sin. You see it in verse 6 as well. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my rebellious ways. As God remembers his mercy, he actively forgets our sins. Isn't that amazing? God who knows everything, when we confess our sin to him, when we find forgiveness because of Jesus, They are forgiven and forgotten. David's picking up the the wonderful truth, which actually comes from Isaiah chapter 43, where it says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. When it comes to sin, time is not a healer. Instead, take your sin to God. He knows it already. Come to him straight away. Confess earnestly, humbly, and find grace and forgiveness. Your sin blotted out, wiped away, confessed, forgiven, forgotten. You need to believe and receive this amazing truth. I think some of you don't believe it because you think it's too good to be true. But here it is. God actively forgets our sins if we confess them. He sets them aside. He remembers them no more. Maybe this morning you feel burdened by guilt and you need to know that release, that freedom. Trusting God, dealing with guilt, finally, finding guidance, number three. And isn't this just another major theme in in the Christian life or in life? Full stop. And also in this psalm. So often we face complicated situations or difficult decisions. Sometimes we we battle with our own wills, which we've already seen are infected by sin, that they want to drag us off away from God. We need guidance. And David knows what is truly best for him. And it's not the paths that he would choose. It's not his wants or his desires. He knows that what's best for him is following God. And so this psalm is full of prayers like verse 5, guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior. Here are three brief things to notice about the way David seeks God's guidance. Firstly, there's patience. Having asked and asked repeatedly for God's guidance, David waits Patiently, for God to lead and to guide end of verse 5 my hope is in God all day long or verse 15 my eyes are ever always on the Lord David asks and then he waits patiently for God to lead and to guide him so often we want things now don't we but God works on his time scale, not yours, and his time scale, just like his plans, are always best. There are times we've just got to wait. As an aside, it is worth asking on this topic of guidance how does God guide us? How has he promised to guide us? Sometimes you see Christians doing quite weird and wonderful things in the hope that it will bring them God's guidance. Two things to say. I think the first is providence. If God is in control of everything, and he is, then we ought to expect to see him at work in the world around us. Sometimes God clearly opens a door for something before you. And it's clear he's leading you to that. If God's in charge, we should expect to see him at work around us. And we do. But the supreme answer, the most important answer, is through his word, the Bible. David asks God to show him his ways, his paths, to teach him, to guide him in truth. And we are blessed to have what David didn't have, which is the full counsel of God's word. So for us, being patient and waiting for God's guidance means searching And knowing the scriptures. Speaking of which, when he's seeking guidance, David also shows persistence. Letter B Persistence. In this one psalm, David speaks of God's teaching or leading or of seeking guidance in verse 4, verse 5, verse 8, verse 9, verse 10, verse 12, verse 14. And there may be others I missed. David is persistent in praying for God's help and direction. Are we like that? You know, when you face a, a crisis, or it doesn't have to be a crisis, does it? just a decision, any decision, just in the run-of-the-mill stuff of everyday life, are we always saying, Lord, teach me, guide me, lead me, speak to me, help me know what to do? I've written another we note on your service sheet this week about the benefits of being at church Sunday morning and Sunday evening. Those who are really seeking God will do that if they can. Wanting to persist, to, to, to know and hear God's voice speaking through the scriptures. David seeks God's guidance with persistence and patience and finally with penitence. It's a bit of a long word but it began with a p when we refuse to seek god's guidance it's really a sign of pride there's another p and pride says i know best and so i don't really need god's help but david even though he's like great king he's like the opposite of that he comes to god humbly knowing that he isn't wise and needs god's help knowing that he isn't deserving but in fact that he's a sinner. So verse eight, David says, good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners like me in his ways. He guides the humble, not the proud, in what is right. We need to rid ourselves of the idea that God owes us anything. He doesn't. It is an amazing privilege to hear his word, to have him teach us, speak to us, and guide us. And so there it is in Psalm 25. I reckon it's such a useful psalm for the realities of living the Christian life. We learn to trust God, to deal with our guilt by taking it straight to him, and to find guidance by patiently, persistently and penitently seeking God's will in prayer and in his word. Let's pray, shall we, together. And we're going to have a moment of quiet reflection. So easily God's word is just snatched from our mind. We take a moment to think about what God has said to us especially. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame. Nor let my enemies triumph over me. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. Lord, we thank you that you've spoken to us your words of guidance and instruction today. You know the tendency of our hearts to be proud, to not want to hear other voices, to trust in ourselves instead of in you. Lord, we pray, help us by your spirit to trust in you. Help us by your spirit to come to you straight away to confess our sin and guilt. Help us to know and to feel the the joy of forgiveness. And help us by your spirit to be those who will come to you seeking your guidance. Persistently looking to you and to your word. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Please feel free to share this podcast. And if you'd like to be up to date with each week's talk, why not search Birkhead Free Church on your favorite podcast app and hit the subscribe button. For more information, go to burkheadfreechurch.org.